Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Buckeye Talk, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Rapid Fire. We're, we're running through some things that we've said before, and people have reacted, Buckeye so talk. we're reacting. Yes, there's only so many things that a person can say. Twelve months a year. We have some, we have some Jim Knowles things here, Nathan, that I want us to dive into, and there are some astute points being, and I think it's in the continuation of. All of us in the media, in the fan base, trying to still get a handle on Jim Knowles and what he is and how this defense works when it's maximized. And do you feel like you have that handle yet? Every time we get a piece of information that Jim Knowles, I scream and I shout and I say, now I get it. And I never completely get it, but I get it more. How good of a sense do you feel like you have of what Jim Knowles wants to do and how well you think Ohio state will be able to do it this season. I mean, I think in general, I have that, that grasp. I think there are some ways though. And the, the conversation we had with Jim Knowles a couple of weeks ago was illuminating because it's clear that his own understanding of not what he is and what his system is and what in theory he can do, but what he wants to slash should do with Ohio state are still evolving. And he, he mentioned this on a number of occasions. He was, I, I actually am, am in the middle of writing something about uh, Mitchell Melton as we record this. And uh, that, that may already actually be up on the side by the time people read this. And that's another example of, of, so we went into talking about the Jack and how much they used it at Oklahoma state. Then they barely used it at all here, but they want to use it more in the future. And there are still some, some parts of that that are evolving as he figures out exactly what works best with Ohio State's personnel. And I think there's some of that that is going to probably still continue adjusting year to year. But I think in general, I do think I have a grasp of of him wanting to be aggressive, him wanting to put pressure on opposing offenses, opposing offensive coordinators, opposing quarterbacks. I mean, he said that, um, but more than saying it, you saw it on the field, how aggressive they were at times, to some people's estimation, overly aggressive at times. and there are probably some adjustments to be made there, 
but I think that's maybe the hallmark of it that you're 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 attacking with guys. This was not a defense that uh, when, when this defense was at its best, and it was at its best in long stretches last year. I thought it played well in long stretches last year. It was a defense that was coming at you with intent and intensity, and I think that's what he wants to keep growing here. It's just a matter of fixing some things from a skill standpoint, coaching some positions up, and also just getting the right guys in place. We have recorded and not yet released a Retalkables on the 2016 Ohio State-Michigan game that I thought was fun. I thought it was illuminating. That'll be coming your way, everybody, sometime, we believe, next week. And we learned a lot about Ohio State's defense by rewatching that game with the superstars on that Ohio State defense. And I will tell you, there there is a particular thing that's happening here. And I don't mean to drop a Chris Holtman comparison because everyone's going to turn off their podcast because it's like, oh, it's basketball again. It's not basketball. But it is a comparison that I'm always curious about when a coach elevates to Ohio State. Because often what a coach did is have great success at his previous stop with less talent. Chris Holtman at Butler, Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State. So then the instinct is, well, if they were that successful with less talent, wait till they get to Ohio State and they have the opportunity to coach more talent or to recruit more talent. And then I think you find out, okay, does everything get amplified? Hey, this dude is a dude as a coach and give him better players and he's a better coach? Or is there something about that coach, Nathan, that he actually fit better at that level, at sort of that tier down, not at an underdog level, but at a place where you weren't getting all the five stars and you were trying to, you know, turn good players into great players and maybe have players who fit specific roles, but couldn't do everything. They were a a little short. They were a step slow. They were a great defender, but they couldn't shoot. They were a great tackler, but they couldn't run like all those kind of things. And I don't know, Nathan, that you can know until the coach gets to the next place. And I still am a little in between on Jim Knowles on this question. And there are two questions here from texters that will lead us down this path more. This is from the 518. This is about the Knowles defense. I watch a lot of European soccer. And in that sports context, there is way more pundit discussion than there is in American football about whether certain players are a fit for their manager's system. Over there, it's less about whether players are good or bad, but rather under what managers would they would, would they thrive? Over here, all I hear is five-star, four-star, whatever. I think Tommy Eichenberg is the perfect example of someone who in a universal sense is a decent but is a decent player, but under Knowles, thrives. I wonder if in the future, Ohio State should pursue more four-star players to fit this style of defense rather than always pursuing the universally good five-stars. In a certain sense, I feel like Michigan is better at this than Ohio State in terms of system fit. So let me ask what I think is a companion question, perhaps from the other side. This one is from March. But I've been saving it because it was a Ted Lasso, Jim Knowles thing. And I'm, I don't want to have a huge Ted Lasso discussion here. My guy, and I can't even remember. It's like Ted Lasso. Whenever Ted Lasso actually tried to do sports stuff, I felt they were like, sports is good. And it's like, okay, sports guys. Like, this is just stick to the part about like, yeah. let's all be friends. From the 614, my gut feeling about this defense 
and the Knowles hire is getting stronger. It's dumb, but hear me out. Our best defense in recent years was under Jeff Halfley, who, in my opinion, simplified everything and attacked. I wanted the Knowles hire to be a slam dunk, but I always felt like it might be just a bit too cute for the Big Ten and for our personnel. Then last week, watching Ted Lasso, there was a part where Roy oy, told Ted they were going to keep their scheme simple because they were less talented and it's what they grew up playing. So it's instinctual. This made my gut feeling stronger that the defense is going to continue to struggle against good teams due to style and personnel. Perhaps it's time to embrace Ted Lasso and employ the Michael Scott keep it simple, stu- keep it simple stupid strategy. It's dumb, I know, but it's my rant. Thanks for listening. Okay. So I feel like we're coming at that sort of from opposite sides here, Nathan. Here's my overall view is you either need great talent and then you keep it simple and let the great talent get after it. Or you need a little more something to the scheme because Mm -hmm. the talent alone isn't enough. Mm -hmm. When it's Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Pete Werner and Davon Hamilton and guys like that in 2019, and it's what they did before that. You play man, you play man coverage, you play a four-man front, you have defensive ends who can get after the passer, and you have corners who can cover. And it is simple. But if you don't have the Boses or Chase Young or Jeff Okuda or Denzel Ward, all of a sudden, that's not enough. So Ohio State, I think, hit that reality in 20 and 21 of like, okay, I don't know. This isn't enough. So they brought in a schemer. And so now the idea of keeping it simple with Jim Knowles to me would run contrary to what you brought him here for because you're asking him to elevate what was a not good enough defense. So this whole thing about, and this goes back to the Butler, Oklahoma State kind of thing. Jim Knowles has always elevated. With his scheme, there was never enough talent. And I have some numbers about Oklahoma State. There was never enough just talent at Duke or Oklahoma State, Nathan, for that defense to be good just on talent. Those defenses were good because of Jim Knowles. Ohio State often can be good, not just on talent, but talent first. That I don't know that people are like, oh, the scheme at Ohio State. I'm like, it's like, no, it's Cameron Hayward. And it's Bradley Roby and it's Darren Lee and it's like through the years. So now we reach this point and we've had these discussions all along the way, Nathan, we believe the Ohio state defensive personnel, the talent does need to be better, but I don't know that simplifying Jim Knowles is the way to go. I think it's more everybody learning what he does through experience, through reps, through another season of it but I don't if I if you want simple I wouldn't have gotten Jim Knowles to begin with so that's a lot of me talking what do you think about this whole personnel scheme marriage between Knowles and Ohio State that's that's a lot of me talking Buckeye talking (laughs) we had a lot of those early on today (laughs) we had a meeting today we had a meeting earlier today about something and uh Doug, uh, it was me and some other people talking for a large portion of it. And Doug introduced himself to the meeting by saying, like, we've had this meeting for 21 minutes and I haven't talked yet. The, the, my head's going to explode. <laughs> so uh, that's the same energy I, I could that we get right it, here it was, on it, Buckeye Talk. It was visceral. I mean, like, I almost <laughs> I felt like I was going to be ill. It was funny. It was kind of funny watching you for those those 21 minutes or whatever it was, because I could tell that you were very antsy. Uh, but to get back to the to the question. 
I'm having a hard time drawing sweeping conclusions from what we saw from Jim Knowles last year. I think it was an introduction to him. I think he also was introduced to all of this. Um, and I think that it's it can be a little bit – got to be careful not to, not to make too much of some small sample sizes on some things too as it relates to – well, because you mentioned that 2016 retalkables we just did. One of the conclusions we came to the end of that retalkables was how many of these guys would you take before you took – ahead of anybody on the 2022 Ohio State defense? And I think the answer was 11. Like, I think we would take 11 defensive players, and that's not a shot at the 2022 defense, really. It's how good that defense was. Well, let me ask that question to you again. How many players from the 2019 defense would you take ahead of the 20, anybody from the 2022 defense? It's oh, yeah, a couple, I mean, couple few I mean, at least. Six, eight. So, yeah. right. And now, it's, now there's some guys who are about to go into their third year who are hit, hitting their peaks who are maybe going to change right. that answer. So that's I'm saying that up front. JT Tumalo out, Jack Sawyer, Denzel Burke, we might have some different answers uh, in a few months. But uh, my point being that I think it is um, still fair to wonder if they're, it, they haven't hit the sweet spot yet since 2019 between scheme that they trust and then most importantly that the players trust and the talent being at the right maturity level, the football maturity level. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, I do think, though, there we, we saw some other signs last year of early on this season, you could feel something different out of this defense. And that's why I mentioned that the trust that the players had in it, because I think that this defensive group trusts Jim Knowles and trusts this defense more than what they more than what was being put out there the, the two years prior to that. Uh, things that they have said, they found that difficult to play in things that we've heard from other people, that there was a lot of sort of second guessing of that, that they didn't necessarily have a lot of confidence that the scheme and the plan was going to work. And I think we saw a change in that last year. I think you saw a more confident team out on the field. And that's why Tommy Eichenberg played the way he did and steel chambers played the way he did the defensive line played the way it did. And a lot of the problems that they had last year were kind of concentrated in the secondary and even more so the cornerbacks in front of that. So um, I'm actually, I've, I've strayed from, I think the actual question you answered, but I think it's still a, I, I think that that is still a, the way I said it before is I guess maybe where I'm looking that I need to, I think there is another year of Jim Knowles, scheme that has to be implemented here or has been implemented and they're going to feel more fluid in that this year. And I think there's also a year of maturity that needed to happen at some key positions who are, regardless of who was coordinating the defense to get the most out of it. I was sort of wondering about this from the minute he got here. And it was particularly related like to the Jack position when we were learning about it with Jim Knowles. And it's like, what if you have Chase Young? Like, what do you do? Are you putting Chase Young at the Jack or are you just letting Chase Young be Chase Young? And he said right when he got here, well, I let Chase Young be Chase Young. But then he took a five-star in Jack Sawyer and tried to turn him into the Jack and it didn't work. So I think ideally you wind up with the best of both worlds here, which is we have a scheme, but if we have first rounders all over the place we don't have to get too fancy we'll let the first rounders play like first rounders and let it rip but when we don't we have a scheme that keeps offensive coordinators and quarterbacks off balance our safeties are moving we have a guy who can move around the line of scrimmage and you don't know where he's coming from and that might create pressure we'll have more you know maybe exotic blitz opportunities and that kind of thing and i do think in the end it's like well what how could it be bad how could having more good players be bad? It, it shouldn't be. 
Right. But I but I do think you don't want to get in the way of your good players. But I think what Ohio State well, it's like Ohio State was desperate. Ohio State desperately needed to fix its defense. And you could have tried to recruit your way out of that. And not that you were going to keep Matt Barnes as the full-time defensive coordinator for another year, but you didn't have to get the $2 million a year guy. Maybe you just got a, a defensive coordinator and you just told everybody to hit the recruiting trail, hit the transfer portal, try to bring in a bunch of five stars and fix it that way. But I feel like that's not, of course they want to recruit at a high level, but they aren't necessarily, we just have, we had this conversation about Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles is not a great recruiter. So you didn't pick that, right? You could have picked, let's like have five defensive coaches. We'll have co-coordinators. We're going to recruit our tails off. Somebody's in charge of the front. Somebody's in charge of the back seven. We'll pair it up. Brian Day has an overall defensive philosophy, but we're going to get there on talent. That would have been a reasonable approach. That's not what they picked. They picked the schemer whose recruiting isn't his strength. So they've made their choice, Nathan. So they pick scheme. Yeah. But does that mean you can't have great players in that scheme? I mean, I think ideally, but I don't think it's simple. I think it's, I don't think it's keep it simple, stupid. I think it's learn the defense, stupid. <laughs> like you wouldn't I, call somebody stupid at the end of that, but you would say like experience matters. And if we're saying year two should be better than year one, I think a defense that has a certain style and scheme to it, it makes sense that that would be the case. So let's talk more about the Jack, because I feel like it, it exemplifies a lot of the, of epitomizes a lot of things about this conversation. So back in the spring, he came out and said, alluded to, yeah, maybe what we did with Jack Sawyer probably wasn't the best. And we're probably going to not do much Jack this spring. We're really going to kind of hold off on that. Uh, We really want to see what Mitchell Melton's going to do there, because that's a guy that he pinpointed last year as a guy who would make sense there. And then he got hurt and they had to go with, and he's also mentioned CJ Hicks there, I think is a way to maybe get CJ Hicks on the field more because he knows he's not going to, necessarily start the year playing ahead of steel chambers so but so here's what he said about the jack a couple weeks ago by the time i left oklahoma state that's practically all we did as far as using the jack like as part of their base defense but they were they were different players different guys and as we used some of it here it just wasn't popping i'm not saying that it wasn't effective but it wasn't popping wasn't jumping off like when you watch the things at oklahoma state you went wow that was great so gradually i just pulled back on it because it doesn't matter what I know, it matters what works. And uh, yeah, an, an end of that quote, something about what the players and it kind of trailed off. I couldn't get on the audio. But I think that is a really interesting micro, like look into the way Jim Knowles thinks about things. Because I think if you're coming in as a coach, you were just given $2 million to come to Ohio freaking state and coordinate their defense and try to win a national championship like he makes a big deal about how they were one play away from getting in the playoff at Oklahoma State which is true but that was kind of like a Cinderella story almost in the 14 playoff situation and like Ohio State it's like that's where the conversation starts so uh, when you come in like that I it would be natural for me to say well I just had this awesome defense last year and it's been building towards that. And we got great results out of this position. And we've got some great athletes. So let's try to make that work. And it wasn't like they, I don't know that Jack Sawyer played a lot less than he would have by playing the Jack, but it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't look like it was a right fit. It doesn't look like Jack Sawyer liked it very much. And it didn't really get them great results as, as Jim Knowles is staying. It didn't get them like exemplary results. So it's a, a question that I would ask is, is it, 
are we assuming too much, expecting too much that he would have been able to, Jim Knowles would have been able to look last spring, a year ago spring, and survey the talent and say, well, I just can't use the jack. Like that I don't think necessarily makes a lot of sense. And I think just because you tried something and doesn't didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't worth trying. I think the important thing is what you did learn from that experience and how that affects how you attack 2023. Because it definitely sounds now like not only do they not want to use Jack Sawyer there, that he realizes that with this collection of talent, that maybe they just don't even need that position or it's going to be more of a niche than it was when it was a central part of the Oklahoma State defense. But he has also talked about the ideal Jack is a guy who maybe is a little short at something. Maybe he <laughs> isn't a, a perfectly well-rounded defensive player. And then he got here and put a five-star sophomore in that spot. Well, who I mean, is a keep... perfectly well-rounded player. Jack, Jack Stroy doesn't have any deficiencies. Uh, right. I mean, right. Doesn't I have... think that was a misstep by him then. Yeah. I, I do think so. So, Like I said, I don't know that it means that he played a lot so less. So here's the thing, and there's there... – no, but he played less effectively. I think he played less effectively. Don't we think yeah. that? That it didn't work. It, it didn't seem like so he, he enjoyed it. I do think shit. the way yeah. he's talked about it now, because the way the way he's talked about it now is like the guy he we said like, oh, they should play chip train him at the jack. So there's a there's a part, some of the people, some of our texters really are into CJ Hicks as the jack. So here's the thing about so it, it which it depends which way you're coming at this. If CJ Hicks is just not going to play linebacker, like Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are the linebackers, and I know you're a five-star, and I know lots of five-stars play in year two, but it's just not going to happen. Sorry. We're playing veteran linebackers here. Then CJ Hicks as the Jack in a specialized role that's on the field, 20 snaps a game is better than nothing, is better than him being a pure backup. I would say... I want CJ Hicks to be a starting linebacker or a co-starting linebacker. So I don't want him in the niche role that actually is supposed to be for a guy who's a little short or a little slow or a little stiff or something because he's not any of those things. He's just a little blocked by Steel Chambers. So if the choice is share that spot with Steel Chambers at the linebacker position that you were actually born to play, I pick that yeah. over the Jack but specialized role. If that's off the table, then Jack is better than nothing. But I don't think the idea of putting five stars in the Jack position now after a year of it and the way he's talked about it, I don't think that's the, the way to go. And I think getting five stars on the field in year two at a place like Ohio State is actually a thing that a defensive coordinator should be very open to. And he just hasn't coached five stars before. Yeah, there's going to be still probably some some adjustment to that. And I, I've been skeptical of the C.J. Hicks at the Jack thing from the start for, for two reasons. Number one is just the things he said in the spring about how little they were going to incorporate it. So is it really going to be a thing that they just spring in preseason camp and try to move forward with? I don't think so. But the other thing is because of what happened with Jack Sawyer last year, they were having very real conversations of, well, is Jack Sawyer far enough along? Is he as far as he's supposed to be as even a defensive end now? Now you need him to just be a defensive end. Did you screw that up? Did you interrupt the development enough? He's going to be less for you than he was this year. And whatever we think of CJ Hicks for 2023, he absolutely is going to be a starting linebacker on this defense in 2024. Like a, a thousand percent, right? So why not? And he might need to be earlier than that this year. Like guys get hurt sometimes. 
So, like, I, I'm, I've been skeptical of how much they would do that with CJX, especially because they feel like it was such a problem with Jack Sawyer before. And on top of all that, the way Larry Johnson was talking about Mitchell Melton, they held him out in the spring specifically. Mitchell Melton came up to him later and said, well, that was a great idea, Coach, because it took a lot of pressure off of him and let him come back at the, his own speed. And they think he's he's 100% now, and he'll be back in the mix this fall. So I think if anybody's doing that this fall, I think it's going to be Mitchell Melton. So that would be, I think, the what everyone wants, probably C.J. Hicks included. I'm speaking for I'm, – I'm putting words we, in his mouth. If we ever got to the point where Steel Chambers was abducted by aliens for a week and it was like, oh, C.J. Hicks is going to start at linebacker, and they were like, well, we're not going to start C.J. because he's been doing a lot of jack in practice, and so he's not – I would throw myself in the Olentangy River. Right. And That's that, what I would be like. Okay, right. So now what? Now we can't do – so – you got to play the best players. This is a, but this is a related question that, again, I find super interesting from the 614. As you guys were talking about maximizing Tommy Eichenberg and other players on the defense, it occurred to me we've been saying for years that guys in this defense will be better pros than college players. Baron Browning and Pete Werner come to mind. What if these guys start being better college players than pros? Guys like Tommy being all Americans, but mid round picks. That's what a great defensive schemer should be able to do for you. Also, just don't get in the way of unleashing five-star talents from the 614. I think this is a really smart text, Nathan. And I will say, I think we have proof of this. The last two NFL drafts, we know there were only two Ohio State defensive players drafted in the last two NFL drafts. Now, a lot of that is because they played so many young guys that Tommy Eichenberg and Lathan Ransom and Denzel Burke and guys who are Tommy Eichenberg staying in school, Steel Chambers staying in school, all those guys, a a lot of them just haven't been available for the draft yet. But we still have guys like Tanner McAllister and Cam Brown and Ronnie Hickman and Teron Vinson and guys like that who didn't get drafted. So in the last two years, only two Ohio State defensive players drafted. Do you know how many Oklahoma State players were taken combined in the last two NFL drafts, Nathan? Um, not many, like, I mean, it could be zero, five, really five Oklahoma state defensive players taken the last two NFL drafts Two. Yeah, he was, he was Was a round pick. Okay. Three, three in 2022 and two in 2023. And they were drafted in the fourth, sixth, 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 and seventh rounds. Yeah. Okay. Here's where those five drafted players, where they were ranked in the 247 composite as recruits. 807, 842, 1056, 1202, 1504. None of them were in the top 800 as recruits. All five were drafted. Only one before the sixth round. And I think if you're drafted in the sixth or seventh round, you're one of two things. You're a good athlete who tested well, who did not produce in college, or you're a very productive player who's not a great athlete. And I think these five guys would fall into that. Malcolm Rodriguez was a sixth round pick. I He got drafted by the Lions. I follow a bunch of Lions writers. They love yeah. Malcolm Rodriguez. Yeah. So if that's what this is, so then it's like, okay, Jim Knowles is turning guys ranked in the 800s into draft picks. 
Ohio State had two total defensive draft picks. I don't know that they had a single recruit in the 800s. If they were draft, if they were recruiting defensive players in the 800s, the entire fan base would be on fire. So, does that mean Jim Knowles should recruit guys that fit his system that aren't as highly ranked? That 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 you want Ohio State. Malcolm Rodriguez is an unbelievable college player. He's a, a recruit in the 1500s. Even Tommy Eichenberg, right? we're like Tommy Eichenberg. Tommy Eichenberg's like in the 350s. Tommy Eichenberg would have been like the greatest recruit in the history of Oklahoma State football. Is this something, Nathan? Would we actually accept lower rated defensive recruits that Jim Knowles is saying he fits, he's smart, he fits, he plays this way. That's what I need. I can exactly envision him here. Boom. I don't care what he's ranked. Two and a half stars. Are the people, you guys are listening to this. Is that cool? Are you like this Oklahoma state model, five draft picks in two years versus two draft picks in two years. Are we, is there anything to learn here, Nathan? Well, Jim Knowles certainly didn't show up here and say, like, I can't wait to turn this roster over into a bunch of guys ranked in the 800s or 1000s. You know what I mean? Like, that is not what he came here and said. He said, like, I'm excited to coach this next level of talent. It's a level of talent he has not had before. So I don't think Jim Knowles would tell you that's what he needs to do. But I think what the answer is, is uh, that it's a combination of both is how you do this. Let's look at that 2019 defense again, because I think it's a great example, because you had the, the Jeff Okudas and the Chase Youngs, of course. But then you get down to the middle rounds and you start finding guys who were incredibly critical to how good that defense was, whether it's Davon Hamilton and Malik Harrison. Jordan Fuller going in the sixth round is another example of that. Jay Sean Cornell in the seventh round is another example of that. And some of those guys were not ranked in 800s, 1000s, but by Ohio State standards, like sixth, seventh round guys. But they were really productive guys. They were incredibly crucial guys. And what you've been missing at Ohio State, I think, for these last few years is, number one, the absence of that elite star power on defense unquestionably and then number two is that next level of guys have not been hitting either like you like there's been something too much missing there it's been short and the combination of those two things has been exposed on the field against the best teams that they play so what when you bring up jay sean cornell what's your point with jay sean cornell that it, it was a mixture of the kind of players that they had. Like I know, and I know that he was a higher ranked recruit. I know that he was a guy that right. He was a top one hundred national recruit who turned into a seventh round pick. That, yeah, but you're still getting. Like, I mean, that's not getting, success to me. I I know, but I'm saying what I'm saying is that those guys were augmented by the fact that they had three first round picks that year, two guys in the third round. Um, it's it's the mix of talent that they had. I mean, they were getting. You know what I'm saying? Like their misses, their misses weren't as bad as they've been the last couple of years and the top end was getting higher than what their top end has been getting the last couple of years it's been both so i i will be curious if if we get one of these coming down the down the pike on uh because sometimes ohio state recruits a lower rated guy like i think denzel burke would fit to this heartline's like this guy's a dog get him in here he's in the 300s i don't care he, he plays receiver in high school. He's going to be a corner here. And Denzel Burke came in and was ready. But that wasn't like a fit. That was sometimes Ohio State takes guys that they think, well, we just we know better. Like they don't care what the ratings are. Mm-hmm. But there's actual there's something here. The idea that they acknowledge that they would they would look at a group of. 10 linebackers and say, OK, like we we honestly believe these seven guys are more physically gifted. But this guy 
like the way he plays, like there's something about him and maybe, you know, he just, he's exactly what Jim wants in this defense and that they wind up with the guy who's, who's ranked 1100 in the country, Nathan, but Jim Knowles is saying, he's my new Malcolm Rodriguez. He's my new Malcolm Rodriguez. When I watched him on his film, I thought it was Malcolm Rodriguez's high school film. I got, I had to pull it out and compare it because it, they're like doppelgangers. It looks like a clone of him and that we would, we would be like, okay, like cool. And there'd be some linebacker who's number 161 in the country being like, Ohio State didn't offer me. I came to camp and they didn't offer me. We're cool. We're cool. Or we think, oh, Jim Knowles, why can't you just take the linebacker ranked 161 instead of 1100 and then have him do Malcolm Rodriguez things, except he's even more naturally talented. Well, I think the smarter way for Jim Knowles to do that would be not to sell him that way coming in. I think it would just be Ohio State takes low ranked guys sometimes, often on like the offensive line, I suppose. But once in a while, sneak a lower. But I don't think you want to put those expectations on him coming in. I think you you recruit the guy, you sign the guy, and then you like Malcolm Rodriguez didn't have to be sold. He sold himself. Like he just became Malcolm Rodriguez. He was one of the best defensive players in the country that year. And even though he was only a sixth round pick, he's also proving himself in the NFL, as you say. So I think I would. That's going to be the key there is whether those guys come in and sell themselves. But some of the guys that they've been recruiting that are top 100 guys and top 200 guys and four-star guys have not been selling themselves the last couple of years. And you can say some of that is coaching, but some of that is also just selling themselves themselves to who? Just playing Selling themselves to who? What do you mean by selling themselves? No, I mean just not playing well enough. Have not been making the case for themselves with their play. Yeah, no, I know. In the end, it's like how good of a player are you? But I'm talking about the idea of guys coming in. Are are you okay with the idea of Jim Knowles if he decided to? And I'm not saying he w- he will decide to, but would you be comfortable with Ohio State going toward a toward a more defensive fit style of recruiting and maybe winding up with and, and like yeah sometimes I mean not really Dar- Darren Lee was in the 600s and Luke Fickle had to like wrestle Urban Meyer to the ground to get Urban Meyer to approve a, an offer to Darren Lee. And Darren Lee was down the road and he had to come to camp like four times. And it was like a huge deal. That would become the norm. Like if that became the norm, no. would you be okay no. with that? And do you think Ohio State fans would be okay with that? No, I think it would have to be more selective than that. I don't think that would, I don't think okay. the fan base, but I also think, I also just don't think that's the result. And I know that we're talking about, he did get those results at Oklahoma State. But I, also the other factor at Oklahoma State was that you had a group that had built together for a, a long time. I mean, how many of those 2021 guys that he had on that defense that were all three stars were all had been playing together for like three years at that point were all seniors. I mean, Tanner McAllister left and came here after that year, but Rodriguez and a lot of other guys were, it, it was a group that had kind of grown together. And there's something to that, I think sometimes. So that's another factor that can't be completely dismissed. I, I, I don't think though, that this is the way, I don't think it's the way Jim Knowles actually wants to build though. I think Jim Knowles wants to get the best, linebacker athlete in the country and then get him to play as well as Malcolm Rodriguez played as productively. Yeah, it, it is interesting because just like Tommy Eichenberg is a is a really good example here. And it, it is a really that we sort of have it it's we don't only have to theorize it from an Oklahoma State point of view because Tommy Eichenberg is a very good player but also did not look like this before and has been maximized. And, you know, again, he's certainly not a guy who was in the 
800s. He was in the uh, 247 composite number 318 as a recruit, but he got it. Like he got it very quickly. And we've already talked about that. So would you take 11 Tommy Eichenbergs? Like, would you, would you, from a skill standpoint, because as good as Tommy Eichenberg is, I think we can acknowledge he's not the most naturally talented linebacker in the country. So it is an, it is an interesting way to think about it, but I do think it's not unreasonable. And I think it's Jim Knowles' goal, as you said, well, just get five-star players and have them get the defense like Tommy Eichenberg gets it. And then we're good to go. It's like, okay, but. You know, but, that, of course, that's the goal. If you do that, you're the number one defense in the country. But if you're short of that, which way are you going to lean? Are you going to maybe lean toward? I just wonder if we could see a couple more, and you're saying maybe do it sporadically, just a couple more Jim Knowles guys in these defenses. Like, and like well, Darren Lee, like, right? Darren Lee in the 600s, like, Luke Fickle didn't get 10 of those a year. Like, you had to find the right guy and fight for him and explain why. And he's the last guy in the class, maybe that kind of thing. But it wasn't how they went about business on a regular basis. Well, let's also be careful, too, though, because you're changing the conversation slightly to where should Jim Knowles bring in linebackers like that? And should you try to build a whole defense out of him? I think that is a big jump, too. We've talked before about no, the I'm role of a linebacker using, in a defense. I'm just using linebackers. I, I mean, everybody. I mean, everybody. I mean, everybody. I, I think I, I'm just using linebacker because that's what we got on. I think it's more likely that it could happen at linebacker than any other position. And not just because Jim Knowles is the coach there. I just think that you can, you can, you can look for a different profile of player there, but I think at, at edge rusher, at uh cornerback, uh, at safety, I think you're still looking for, um, and maybe even safety, you could probably, you could probably find guys. I think that's where you're maybe going to find maybe those, you're more likely to find a diamond in a rough like that. But I think at those other positions, you want to be recruiting elite, athletic talent, uh, superior talent, because the teams that you need to beat are also doing that. Yeah, that's what I think too. But I think it's an interesting conversation uh, around this idea and the right balance of it. Okay. When we come back, we'll get into some Marvin Harrison stuff, a little TV stuff, a little Ohio State future head coach stuff. We'll do all of that next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Nathan, talking some TV stuff. We've discussed this. We've written about that as the Big Ten schedule has been revealed. I get frustrated by the idea that maybe a game, if, if, if an Ohio State game, an Ohio State game has not yet been put on Peacock. Is that correct, Nathan, correct. at this point? Right. So, so Ohio State fans don't have to worry about, oh, I have to get a streaming service for just one Ohio State game. The, the Michigan State-Washington game is on Peacock. That's the best, I think, Big Ten game on Peacock. From the 4-4-0, Michigan State versus Washington on Peacock is a huge bummer. It's sad that my $73 per month package on YouTube TV is no longer enough to watch all the big games. It makes me mad. That's like totally reasonable to me. And then on the other side of this, Nathan – is the idea of should we all just be going all streaming and cutting everything from the 614? It's clear that we're separating from cable. Peacock is $8 a month. Fox Sports Plus is $5 a month. ESPN Plus is $7 a month. Get an antenna and you get 90% of the Ohio State games through those different things. My cable is $250 a month for two boxes and internet. I'm about to squeeze that out of the picture. I have long been a cable advocate for the ease of use, et cetera. But with the streamlining of streaming services and streaming TVs, a good $50 digital antenna and one or two streaming services, and you're all set. Um, 
plus ESPN plus and Peacock have golf. Uh, so the football is free for me. Seriously looking at times um, where I th- can think about canceling cable. So if a person who's ready to get rid of cable, maybe streaming could be good that way. I guess I don't know enough to know, you know, if the Fox sports plus and the ESPN plus and all that stuff, it gets you all the ESPN and Fox stuff that you need. Cause that's still where obviously not ESPN anymore, but Fox, NBC and CBS or the majority of where Ohio State's going to be. I guess those are just three over-the-air networks now. Are you worried for fans? Like, I ranted about this before. Do you think fans should be concerned about what is happening? And I would imagine there will be a conclusion to this that is reasonable, but I, I wonder if the transition could be clunky and expensive for some people and also maybe cause them to miss a game or two they don't want to miss. I mean, the solution might eventually just be that all of the streaming services get bundled together in one big thing, you know, kind of like cable. <laughs> Is that where we're at? Sounds good to that. me. But no, I do. I do worry for fans because I, and it's one thing like for for some of us, it's a somewhat um, second nature thing at this point. You know, we we know our way around cable. We hear about the um, various streaming services. We're more familiar with them. We maybe have uh, either picked one up for a short period of time to watch something or we get a password from our friends to try something out. Like, I think we're just it's more normal to us. But when I think about someone like my parents, like if they wanted to watch whatever their favorite college team is for an entire season and now it's on not only three networks, but you also have to be aware of like two different streaming services. And do you even have the right kind of TV to get the streaming services into the TV anymore? which again, I know of a certain age, we think of that as like common, but some people don't. Some people don't live in areas that have, you know, good uh, access to those sorts of things. So yeah, I I do worry about it for the fans, but I don't know. I guess I don't know what the solution is. The the, the schools, the, the, the conferences could put their foot down and say, well, we're not doing that, but they'll have to take less money. So the one thing I do think we have to do, and we should write this down, is we need to, before the season starts, make sure that we do some kind of analysis of how an Ohio State fan can watch all the games this season, how much it costs, all the different ways to get access to the different networks. And if they, again, Ohio State is not does not have a game on a streaming service right now. My bet would be that they're going to wind up with one game on Peacock. But I, I, I do think we – people back in the day, Nathan, used to call newspaper sports departments oh, yeah. on the telephone and say, what channel is the game on tonight? Yeah. We need to be well, that for people. So we – and it's not it, – I think it's like before the season starts of should you if, – if you're starting from scratch, what should you do? Should you try to get cable? Should you, If you did just do all streaming services and an antenna – how far would that get you? What would the cost be? I do think trying to figure out the most economical and easy way. Now, those might be two different things. The most epic economical way might be really difficult. Right. But, right. you know, the options for loyal fans, all I want to do is watch my team. I do think it's our responsibility to help lay out what the options are. Oh, yeah. When I worked at the Chicago Tribune in college, you would get calls and it would be, um, that's a pretty big coverage area, obviously, right? From like Rockford, Illinois to like Northwest Indiana and South into, you know, Kankakee or whatever, for people who know they're Illinois. And people just ask, like, hey, what channel are the Cubs on tonight? And it was always a very difficult thing because then it's like, well, what cable system do you have? Like, maybe you should just call your cable provider and ask them what channel they're showing your game on. 
but but it's gotten a little bit easier to do something like that over time because now things are just it's just ESPN, CBS. But um, but now this is going to complicate it again. So I, I think you're right that the digital the, the easiest answer it may not be the most economical, depending on what else you have to give up. The other tricky thing here is um, going to all the streaming services and and picking them out here and there maybe means you have to give up something. Are you willing to give up your local news to do that? Um, just things like that that I think are going to be it, it, it is it, the other thing that's making it harder on the fans is just that they now have to go make those decisions in the past. It was just much more. Well, if I just get this one thing, I have all the games. And now that's, that's not the case. And it's never probably ever going to be the case again. All right. We did a market down Monday about Marvin Harrison jr. Production this season, where we predicted whether he would break Jackson Smith and Jigba's single season receiving record or not from the six, one, four Mars production will go down. Tons of examples of folks who had big years as a sophomore but or sophomore or junior only to step back statistically as a junior or senior. Joey Bosa, Michael Thomas, Jackson Smith and Jake. That's an injury thing that doesn't really count. Brian Hartline, Beanie Wells also is an injury thing. Ted Ginn Jr., Devere Posey was suspended for half the season. All right, 614. Injuries <laughs> and suspensions don't count. Like if you want to make a case, Joey Bosa is a case. Devere Posey, oh, what if you get suspended for half the year? It's not a case. But also Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis. Maybe we're not, you know, maybe statistically or even just Ugh. in the view of how well they played. Did they play as well in, the, in the, their final year? Different reasons, same results. In Marv's case, I think it will be because teams will stress shutting him down. He'll be productive and valuable, but produce less. My driving the bus is related to that. That's for later in the summer. We'll drive the bus later. Thank you for the texter for not driving the bus yet. It's not bus time yet. The buses are still in the garage. And this is one that I had been saving, Nathan. From the five one three, this is Aaron. Do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. is more like Jamar Chase or T. Higgins? I hear all of the Marvin hype, and I only partially see it. I know he's great, and I think he'll be an excellent receiver one in the NFL. But to hear him being put up on such a high pedestal is a bit much for me. I watch every Ohio State game and every Bengals game. In my opinion, Marv is more like T. Higgins than Jamar Chase. That's still a top fifteen receiver in the NFL, but that's not an overall number one pick in my opinion. T went 32 and Chase went five. I have more thoughts, but I don't want to ramble. Marv is awesome, and I'm glad he's on my favorite team. He's just not Jamar Chase yet, at least. I do think some of that, Nathan, goes back to something we did talk about on that Market Down Monday pod, which is yards after the catch and that kind of explosive element. So the case for his production going down and the case for him not being in the super top tier of receivers like Jamar Chase, what do you think of both of those? Yeah, and they're they're not even necessarily the same thing. Like the second doesn't necessarily have to be why the first one happens. Uh, this to the second question, I get where the the texture's coming from. I would say two things. Number one, something else we already mentioned, which is sometimes it's you have to be careful not to compare a guy who a, a compare a guy who isn't at his peak to a guy who was, and say there's a deficiency there because there should be naturally some deficiency there. So it, it'll be easier to compare. Harrison to Chase and Higgins to some extent after another year. I mean, he's only had the two years. But and also it's something you already mentioned, I would agree that there's not yet as much explosiveness in Marvin Harrison Jr.'s game, but so does he, and he's working on it. So the texture even said yet, and we need to be careful that we don't get too caught up in the, the hype, I suppose, and uh, assume that there's going to be this you know leveling up that happens off of somebody that's already pretty great. But I think there are reasons why, especially in his case, especially because of what he shows fundamentally 
both in terms of a skill and just who he is as a person, I think there's reason to expect more, that there's there's still more coming out of him. Um, as to the first thing, as we said when we were doing the Market Down Monday on his uh, production for this next year, which I guess also has not – has that one – that one did. That one has gone up, that's right? Up. Okay. That's how they know. That's how they got, know. That, right. Okay. Because they listen right. to it with their ears. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, we we're very confused. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. Okay. We've, we're backlogging a bunch of podcasts. We've recorded many things that you have not heard yet, but we also have recorded some things that you have heard, including that yeah. one. We've done like it's almost like we're averaging like one a day that we is going up, and one a day that's going up in two weeks, and I, I get confused. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I think the important thing to remember is that about what Marvin Harrison Jr. might mean to this offense, even when he's not touching the ball. And I think that is uh, something else that that texture is alluding to, that it's going to potentially you've got other weapons there that can benefit greatly if there is that extra attention. So uh, don't look at Marvin Harrison Jr.'s impact solely through statistics, that it can it can exceed that. I did a coaching podcast several podcasts back about the possibility of if Ryan Day were to leave for the NFL, who would potentially be in line to be the next guy up. And I, and I like that framework of it is Ohio state's still good. We're not firing anybody. It's just like, you know, who would be on the list right now? We have some things. So that was a solo pod. And I want Nathan involved in, in sort of that discussion, the reaction to that discussion from some texters. But I do want to ask this, Nathan, from the three, three Oh, I think I sent a survey about that. And it's like, hey, like, what do you want in a head coach? You missed a category for Ohio State head coaches. Who does Doug want? Nick Saban is closed-lipped and doesn't let the assistant coaches talk to the press until bowl games. Jim Harbaugh can be goofy and hard to interview. Who is Doug's dream coach from a press conference point of view? So access is a big part of this because Harbaugh doesn't really let guys talk either. And we are and have expressed to Ohio State our appreciation for the fact that we do get to talk to assistants. Georgia, because Kirby comes from the Saban tree. When we were at the semifinal last year, Georgia, uh, Nathan, we're all like, hey, let's talk to Todd Monken. Cool, let's talk to Will Muschamp. And uh, and I can't think of the other guy's name, the co-defensive coordinator. And But the Georgia writers were also like that because they had not talked to those guys all year. That blows my mind that if we were sitting here saying, Man, I can't wait until bowl season so we can talk to Jim Knowles. Holy moly. So I will say, Nathan, I think the most important thing for any head coach, if you were designing who's the perfect head coach from a media standpoint, is a guy who allows access. And I think that starts with letting his staff talk on a regular basis and not being so afraid or secretive about the message, one voice, whatever, that you don't let any of you guys talk because they want to talk, Nathan, because they all want to be head coaches and they all think talking to the media is part of that path. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm, I get frustrated sometimes because on the one hand, I understand why sometimes coaches, it's not even necessarily so much about protecting secrets. Sometimes it can be a logistical issue of, of how much access are you going to give us, especially if it's a big beat, I suppose. But I can tell you big, successful beats whether that's what Tom Izzo's done in basketball at Michigan State, whether that's what Pete Carroll did at USC, where there's a, a lot of access, like kind of wide open access, and those teams still win a whole bunch of games. 
So uh, I agree with you. That I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you. But the problem is, the problem is, the most successful guy does not do that. So you can right. say, oh, right. but the problem is, the most successful it's, college no, football right. coach, Nick Saban, does not do that. So people yeah. think, oh, look, that works. No, and coaches copy each other all the time. When I covered Purdue basketball, Matt Painter decided that there would be a new rule that they would not let uh, freshmen talk to the media until they'd played a game. And he got that rule. He got that idea from Thad Mata because Thad Mata used to do that apparently with Ohio State basketball. I don't know if you remember that at all, but that was what he told us. Like, oh, Thad Mata did that. I I thought that was a good idea. So it's like – so then after the first exhibition game, no matter what else happened, they always brought in four freshmen because that's the first time you got a chance to talk to them. Uh, And it was, I thought, silly and uh, an unnecessary way to do it. But again, coaches copy success, and Thad Mata had great success here at one time, and uh, Matt thought that was a good idea. So – yeah, no, coaches will absolutely do that. And I and it's not like but but it's not like when they saw Pete Carroll doing it the way he did at USC where he's everybody can watch him rolling around on a Segway for the whole practice. Uh it's not like a bunch of coaches copied that. Like I think coaches also like keeping us at a, a distance if they can. And now Saban kind of helps give them that excuse to do that. That I think is a uniquely LA thing that people think like, Oh, well, and by the way, like in LA, they, they let access. So because to get coverage, because there's so many other things going on in Los Angeles, it's not like a college football town. When you're in a college football town, they want to lock it down. And and the most open situation that I've ever been around was covering Purdue football under Daryl Hazel, where every practice was open preseason spring during the season, Tuesday, Wednesday practices completely open. You could be there for the full two hours and they stunk. So it's not like I'm arguing that full access somehow leads to success because it definitely did not. No, coaches would argue that full access leads to losing that you're like, that's their well, case. It's like, Hey, look what happened to Daryl, but it, he's trying to get coverage. It doesn't lead to losing, but what it does do when you are losing is it creates um, problems with your staff because your staff will use that as a, as a thing to blame for why you're losing. Oh, there was something they wrote about how some guy wasn't in drills, so they knew that somebody was hurt, and that's why we lost to Wisconsin 35-3. to Like, well, no, probably not, but whatever you want to think. So I will say I think we've had a version of the best kind of head coach here, and I, I think it was Urban early. Like Urban early on was would just tell you what's going on because and I've expressed this before and I don't mean to speak ill of Mike Leach but the late great Mike Leach the whole pirate thing like hey isn't wouldn't it be fun to cover a coach who spends three quarters of his news conference talking about how many times a pirate would have to stab a dolphin to kill it and what type of blade would be most effective wouldn't that be awesome no it would be terrible yeah because I don't want to talk about pirates and dolphins I want to talk about football so Somebody who is willing to entertain some bigger picture, maybe philosophical questions related to football, as well as give as much of an answer as can be expected about the details of your team without giving away state secrets is what I want. And and like some level of honesty, like don't blow smoke. Hey, we're great at everything. Or, or you know, hey, we're number one in the country, but we're terrible at everything. It's like, okay, well, that's not true either. That's no better. And I really thought, Early Urban coming off Jim Tressel, who liked to talk in circles strategically, like we've really had a version of it. And usually, coaches let you in more early on, and they scale back. I actually thought the fact that Ryan Day seemed, I thought the access this spring for Ohio State was even a little better 
than it had I, been, although it is always very good. I also think maybe losing to Michigan twice and, hey, like, you know, the heat's on a little bit. Sure. That's not – you try to keep the media on your side. I, you know, there's a lot of things that go into this. I also do think Ohio State has a sports information department that pushes for access because they think access is better, better for the program because that's what they're who they're employed by. But I also think they know it's better for the fans, it's better for us. But what's better for us and better for the fans is better for the program. And for us to be informed and to give a true picture to fans so then you're not relying on anonymous information. Oh, this happened at practice. Little Birdie told me. And you're not relying on um, as much of, you know, like uh, having to go in every news conference, run through everything that you can just see it a little bit and have an understanding. And then, by the way, you can understand, hey, why are they doing this? I was like, oh, we saw in practice why this makes sense, why this guy's playing or whatever. Anyway. I'm not blowing smoke on Ohio State because I think people would know by now. And if I thought if I thought Ohio State was not doing mm-hmm. its best by by the fans with its access, I would rip them. And I, if I covered Alabama, I think I would complain about it constantly because they don't have the same kind of access. And I probably would get in fight with Nick fights with Nick Saban in news conferences. And I honestly think Ohio State is really good, but the ideal coach, I don't know. Uh, by name who it would be, but it's somebody who's willing to honestly talk about their team, honestly talk about big picture football issues and not be afraid of it and not say like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about this game. It's like, we can have two thoughts at the same time. And frankly, Urban, and I do think Ryan Day and is pretty darn good. Like, I don't know that there's yeah. anybody I'd want more than Ryan Day and the setup that Ohio State has. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert at everything, but for a big-time program, Nathan, I think we know we have it pretty good. Well, when I came here, I sort of assumed the worst. I thought it might be worse. I thought it might be more like Alabama. I just had this idea in my head of what a big-time program, how it would treat access, and it, it, it has been better than I expected. Uh, maybe that's uh, giving Saban too much credit for leaving, leaving the bar that low. I think Ryan Day has been overall pretty good. The one quibble that we've had with him at times has been when – his stance towards injuries sometimes seems to contradict itself. Are we relying on the availability report? Are we not? It's it, it, sometimes that has been in conflict with each other. I think though he has, I, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt of why he doesn't want to divulge some of that information or why it's complicated sometimes to do that. And I had a conversation with him this uh, during the coaches clinic. We just kind of ran into each other in the hall. And I said, Hey, thanks for uh, making spring as open as it's been. Cause I feel like we've learned a lot. And he was like, yeah, that was the whole, point like they they understand that again if they're only giving us short little glimpses they do have certain rules about hey don't put don't talk about formations don't talk about injuries until you've talked to ryan day those are reasonable things that a lot of of programs put out there and and we learn a lot and can then talk about it more intelligently and he didn't say this but other people of ohio state that i've talked to have intimated that they there are other outlets that uh, sometimes try to report on the team that aren't at practice and they want to give value to the ones who are. And so it's sort of a, a acknowledgement of us and by extension, our readers and viewers and listeners that Ohio state sees value in them, that they see value. And we want you guys who are listening to me say this right now to be getting credible information. I will say one of the people we're going to talk about next is Mike Vrabel. And I don't, from my experience of what I've heard, I don't know that Mike Vrabel loves the media. I don't think he loved the media as a player. I know in particular, 
there was a reporter that he held a grudge against because of something that had been written like 15 years earlier when he was like cut in the NFL. And it was like, wow, this is like a little unusual. Uh, when he was an Ohio State assistant, he just was, he's got, I mean, he's Mike Vrabel. He's got a little bit of an edge to him, man. And so if that ever happens, and I do think if you said, whatever the odds would be right now, will Mike Vrabel ever be Ohio State's head football coach? I would bet yes, whatever the odds would be. And I don't know that you, like Mike Vrabel versus the field, you know, it's like, could you make that like an even money bet? I don't think there wouldn't be any value in that. But I don't know that you would make Mike Vrabel up much higher than like three to one of whether he'll ever be Ohio State's head coach. Because I just think it's so logical in so many ways. And it doesn't have to be anytime soon. It could be the, the end of a very long and successful Ryan Day cycle. Or it could be tomorrow. If Ryan Day decided to go, he wanted to, you know, open a fruit stand and not be a head football coach anymore. I think Mike Vrabel would be up. I wonder what that Mike Vrabel world would be like. And I'm not trying to say that like from a negative standpoint, but that is a guy, there would be a lot. I think the whole program would have more of an edge. And I think that would seep over into that part of it, Nathan. And I think depending on the circumstance of like what led to him coming to Ohio State, I think an edge might be welcomed in a lot of ways by the fan base. And then we'd be like, Hey, we don't get to talk to anybody anymore. And like, we don't get to go to practice anymore. And if you try to ask Mike Vrabel anything that isn't, how do you, you know, what's the weather going to be like for the game? You're not going to get an answer. And then we'd have to see if they were still like enamored with that. But if he beat Michigan, nobody would care if he gave, Exactly. Press conference question answers or not, right? That's what fans think is the best media policy. What is the policy that my winning coach has? That's the best media policy. I would say that you don't want a coach who is like overly concerned about the media and paranoid about the media. And I'm not even trying to diminish us, but like if you're thinking about us too much and that means you're insecure or you've got other problems that are um, maybe because you're not winning and then things are going in the wrong way to begin with. But, um, I, I think you're right. I think that, that 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 edge would probably be welcomed in that circumstance. And frankly, like, listen, we're going to keep talking regardless of whether we get to see practice or not, whether or not we get to we get that access or not. We're still going to be here. So maybe it makes Buckeye talk even more valuable if something like that were to take place. Or maybe we just say, oh, nobody talks anymore. We're going once a week. What are you going to do? Now nah, we wouldn't do that. OK, when we come back, we'll talk we'll a little bit about more about about Mike Vrabel and some other guys next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan, this is one that I had done, the sort of the future list, again, what I sort of laid out that a texter asked, if Ryan Day left for the NFL tomorrow, what would happen? You know, we got like one comment from the 614. I can't believe no Kenny Guyton or JT Barrett mentioned in the Ohio State coaching conversation. Since they're both in coaching, obviously both not ready yet, but both names might be in the drawer for the future, like Eddie George or James Laurinaitis. I just... Yes, I, I agree with that. I just think they're even further removed because yep. Eddie George is a current head coach and James Laurinaitis is currently in the building. And JT Barrett and Kenny Guyton are not in the building and are not head coaches. So I, I know I did like a young guy or, you know, not right now kind of drawer. So that's just like another drawer lower to get down to that. Because it's like, okay, JT Barrett is like, I don't even know what he is. He's an assistant to the assistant quarterbacks coach in the NFL. So, like, there's a long way to get to that point. Um, 
This is was one that I wondered about, Nathan, your view on this from the 937. A hard pass on Marcus Freeman. He could easily have talked up Notre Dame without dragging Ohio State in the process. To me, he's already burned the bridge and he's out. This was a thing that happened last offseason. I think he was talking about, I think, the academic requirements at Notre Dame. And I, I think he said something like almost along the lines of, I almost kind of wish I would have gone to Notre Dame instead of Ohio State. And I, it was a deal. It was a thing an internet thing. And I just sort of said, I don't know, man, he's the new head coach at Notre Dame. What do you expect from the guy? He doesn't hate Ohio state, but do you think either from an, more importantly, from an administration standpoint that would be making a decision about a Marcus Freeman hire one day or not, or from the acceptance of the fan base, if he got floated as a candidate, do you think something like that could linger? Uh, it might linger. Um, whether or not it'll matter will depend on uh, some other circumstances. I mean, if Marcus Freeman has won a national championship or multiple national championships in Notre Dame and Ohio State wants to hire him as a head coach, I think fans are going to be behind that. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think I mean, and he'll have to he'll talk about it at his press conference and in, in, in some other story that people write. But I don't it, it won't linger that way. Um, so I, I think that success can put that behind you. And the other thing to remember is. Like Marcus Freeman's first game was going to be against Ohio State. Like that kind of raised some of the uh, intensity and the stakes ar- around this too. And I think was going to help people draw some lines that uh, whether they were there or not. But I agree that that was, I mean, it was a pointed thing to say, but I thought I always took it as him talking up Notre Dame more than trashing Ohio State. All right. Uh, this is one about Mike Vrabel and Marcus Freeman. Doug, I agree with you that Mike Vrabel and Marcus Freeman topped the list of day replacements in this hypothetical. Getting Freeman might make Hartline leave, which would be bad. Vrabel is the best, in my opinion. I can't believe you left out a guy who has been a coordinator at a Big Ten school. No Brian Ferentz? Ha ha. <laughs> Steve from Richmond. Uh, that's a good ha ha. And then one more, because um, there was there just, again, I started my list with Vrabel. And so there was a lot of Vrabel conversation. Nathan, Doug, looking at your list, I don't get the Matt Campbell constant love. I know Iowa State is a tough place to win, but he's done nothing spectacular there. He's barely above 500. I'm a huge Vrabel supporter. I'd love to see Vrabel be the next Buckeyes head coach. That's from the 773. I will say, Nathan, like sort of bringing in those mid-tier guys, someone someone else sent in and said, Doug, for your coaching podcast, I was surprised you didn't mention Kentucky coach Mark Stoops as being on the list of coaches to call in this hypothetical scenario, you know, like Matt Campbell. The, the Stoops brothers have Ohio roots. So it's like, that's not a difficult connection to make. I do think it's hard, Nathan, sometimes to f- try to figure out that jump. It's like, oh, well, why would I mention the Iowa State coach, but not mention the Kentucky coach? But like, you've got to see something in there. Shahan has brought this up on the College Ball Survivor Show. Like the, what Matt Campbell did for a year or two at Iowa State is a stinking miracle. Yes, Iowa State had a losing record last year, but you look overall at what he's done there. Like to win eight games on any kind of regular basis at Iowa State to be like, I don't know if that's not spectacular. It's like, it's unbelievable. But I don't know if you have any opinions on like the jump of those mid-tier guys, but I do in the end, I want to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want like your Vrabel take on this and what you think of him as a candidate. And to reinforce this, if you did not listen to the pod that I'm talking about, it was a Rance pod, go back and listen to it. But it's nobody is forcing Ryan Day out the door. It's like if Ryan Day would choose to leave in the somewhat near future, where would you go? And I was sort of making the list of guys in the drawer. What do you think about the mid-tier guys, and what do you think about Vrabel? 
I'm also not that enamored with Matt Campbell, for the record. Um, I, I'd rather see um, a real breakthrough, um, uh, because, and especially because of the backstepping that's gone there the, the last couple of years. I, it, as far as the mid-tier guys in, in general, I, I'm trying to, trying to conjure like what, what level of success shows that you're ready for Ohio State. Like The Ryan Day situation was very unique because he was already in the building, and I think Gene just saw something in him that um, that maybe you only see when you're up close to somebody on a day to day basis, and that's why you 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 make that you you know what I mean? Like you've been doing it long enough that you know it when you see it, and you pull the trigger. And but you know, Urban Meyer with his background before he came here, Jim Tressel had won however many national championships before he came here. Like the, the last couple of hires before Day were based on like institutional great success. So does a mid-tier guy get a chance to prove that in a way that it feels like an like a an, a very natural kind of no questions about a hire for Ohio State? I I don't know. But Vrabel would. Like Vrabel obviously would be a guy that I think would every maybe not every, but a, a huge portion of the fan base would be behind from day one because not only is he a, a, a Buckeye, but you know the success that he's had in the NFL also sort of speaks for itself that he knows what he's doing. Would there be possibly questions about how that would translate at this point to uh, the college game? I think that's fair. It certainly was a problem for Lovey Smith. It's been a problem for other coaches who tried to do that, but it didn't wasn't a problem for Pete Carroll. And I think that it's something that Mike Vrabel could probably adjust to. So this is the the last one that we'll do here. And this is uh, people reading my tone, which is always dangerous from the 210. Great pot on head coaches, Doug. Hearing you talk about Vrabel and Freeman, it feels like you would take those guys over day right now, given the chance. Is that true? I'm sure that's also true of Nick Saban. What other coaches is that the case for out of curiosity? So I had talked about Nick Saban on there. It's like, I don't know. He's from West Virginia. He's coached in Ohio. You know, if you go, who's in your drawer? It's like, I don't know, the greatest coach of all time who has some Midwest roots who maybe is sick of the SEC and would come here for five years. I'd make the call. I'd have him in the drawer. Would I take those guys over Ryan Day? So I, I would not take them over Ryan Day right now, like what Ryan Day is, what Ryan Day has done. And this relates a little bit to the podcast we just did about faith in Ryan Day and where Ohio State fans are with this. Like year five, Ryan Day, who's made three out of four playoffs, no. But I do think Marcus Freeman gives you an opportunity. It's an alum. It's a guy on the rise. Can you catch something there? So it's just a little bit of a different thing. Not that Ryan Day is not a young guy on the rise too, but it's just a, a little different. When you get that juice, maybe the recruiting juice of a guy, you know, an alum in the program. And then Vrabel, the thing for me and why I think, and this is not the intention of this, but I think if it ever got to the point in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry where it felt like Michigan had a permanent edge, Mike Vrabel seems like a guy who would stick Jim Harbaugh in a trash can. And if that's what you needed, if this rivalry got to the point of, Michigan's winning, Harbaugh's puffing his chest, all the momentum is on Michigan's side, and how do you possibly turn that? Then I could get to a point where maybe the personality edge, the I played here edge, the defense versus offense edge, the I played in the NFL for Bill Belichick and I have a bunch of rings edge, 
and I don't mean edge like an advantage. I mean like a tough edge, like a hard, like a that hardened version. I just think you know it. Like if you've been yeah. around Mike Vrabel, and Mike Vrabel can relate to people. Mike Vrabel established a culture. Mike Vrabel is not just a pound the desk yell at guy. But if it got to that point, Nathan, I could see myself think they needed it. They need that. Like just for as as much as this is a great offense for as much as they recruit quarterbacks and receivers for all the great things about Ryan day. If it felt like they couldn't get over the top and you needed, you needed a tough guy. I think that's where you would go there or that that's, that's the circumstance right now where I would say, I I think that would be better for Ohio state than what they have now. But right now with what the sport is in this day and age, I, I I'm not saying I would take, one of those two guys over Ryan Day. I'm saying I think in different ways, they are very strong candidates if Ohio State needs to go into that drawer anytime soon. Yeah, I think I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, the with Vrabel, I think it's it's still just a more it's it's kind of just an open. It's it, it it's he is who he is like, right. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's he's already proven it. I think he would be the the natural successor or a, a, a very natural successor with, with Freeman though, I, I find myself thinking more, uh, Steven's not on this podcast, but I'll channel Steven a little bit because he talks a little bit, a lot about how, um, you know, five stars kind of losing their shine a little bit. Like when they get on campus and the first time they actually get to play like before it's like, well, here's all the possibilities of who this guy is. And then you see him as a, as you see them finally play. And now you have to kind of readjust what your expectations are. And, that's happening a little bit with Freeman. Like he came on at Notre Dame and they had a pretty successful first year. They also had like a home loss to Marshall and some other stuff in there that isn't great. And uh, so he's like where he'll be thought of as, as a coach at a point where this might come into Ohio state's like visibility again, uh, it remains to be seen. Like, does he, does he kind of have a bunch of like, you know, nine win seasons at Ohio at Notre Dame and the peaks are never really that great. That'll be a harder thing to sell, I think, at Ohio State. Because you would already say, it would, you'd be Brian Kelly. And you were not a, a great fan of Brian Kelly. And if, if it doesn't really surpass that, then I think that that probably would not necessarily appeal to Ohio State that much. Or certainly not appeal to the fans that much. They would look at someone who took over a, a potentially very strong program and didn't take it up to another level. That's That's kind of what his... I think mission is probably at Notre Dame is like Brian Kelly did this and it was, you know, they played and they made some playoffs and played for national championship and all that stuff. But like, what's the level above that? That's what Notre Dame's got to get to. And I think if he, he has to get to that in order to really be a candidate, at Ohio state. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Keeping it light and breezy. Got a bunch of stuff planned. We're going to, we just have, we have, there's a lot of stuff planned. We're going to keep doing podcasts. You know that try the text if you'd like at 614-350-3315. There's recruiting camp still going on. There's information flowing in there. Steven's out at all of those. So when it's a camp day, you get a lot of instantaneous information about who's there, how they look, what they're saying. Um, it's a great opportunity if you're interested in that kind of thing during this time in June. And then, of course, we invite you to check out cleveland.com slash OSU. But for now, we appreciate you guys listening, as always, for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>